With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football. Adam Luckett, uh, your guy for everything at Sunbelt, here to bring you another fun belt edition of the pod. Today, um, as most of y'all know that listen to this, last Friday, Coastal Carolina came out and said Joe Moglia pretty much wasn't going to coach the team this year and that they're handing over the reins to Jamie Chadwell. Moglia is dealing with a sickness, so I brought in a guy that we've had on before, Scotty Watkins, who writes for our site. He's mainly our recruiting writer there at the Sun Belt, but is really in tune with all of the programs in that conference. So uh, we're going to bring him on today, and we're just going to kind of talk about what we think of the whole situation. So, Scotty, welcome to the show, my man. It's your second time. How does it feel? Uh, it feels good to be back. <laughs> all right, good to have you, my man. So anyway, we'll just pretty much break this down. Pete Thamel, uh, formerly of Sports Illustrated, now with Yahoo Sports, broke the news on Friday saying Moly was out. And I got a quick piece up over at our site that uh, you could check out if you haven't already. And I even did a Facebook Live video just giving my quick recap thoughts about Moglia being out. He said he had something quoted, bronchial asthmatic reaction to allergies, which Moglia said was just really bad inflammation in his lungs in that the doctors could have stopped this if he would have came to him right away with an antibiotic, but Moglia said he let it go for a little bit, didn't see a doctor for a couple years, and it just got worse and worse. And if he didn't go and get it treated right away, he might be on an oxygen tank in the next couple years. The coach just turned 68. So, Scotty, how surprised were you by this news when it dropped on Friday? I know Moglia didn't show up to media days that Monday of the previous week, so it kind of caught everybody out. That caught everybody off guard, and then they dropped this big news bombshell on Friday afternoon. Yeah, like you said, I think that the um, the not going to media days thing was probably the bigger surprise than that. I think kind of it eased off. When I, when I heard this news, I wasn't shocked because we had that prerequisite. Moglia can't go to media days because of a health issue. But um, it it's really really sucks for him, and I hope he gets better. But yeah, I, I wasn't entirely shocked after what after he skipped media days. There there comes a point we we tend to think that coaches in college football are almost invincible because they're always there, and they all seem to have the same age and arma. People with with real illnesses and this stuff kind of happens. Yeah, I think we think of college coaches as. Like, they'll never retire. We just think everybody's going to coach yeah. until they're 75 or 70. And a lot of them are 70, 75. We don't even know yeah. it. A lot of it, I think, is it takes them so long, sometime, or most of the time usually, to get these head coaching jobs. So what we expect when they get them, we expect them, you know, they're going to stay there in these roles for 20, 25 years. So and I know there was a more on a national level when Bob Stoops retired. It kind of surprised some people, but – I believe he was like 60-something years old. You get to that point in your life, you made that much money. 
eventually you're just going to be like, enough is enough. I don't want to, I just want to retire and live a relaxing life my last 20, 30 years here on earth. But with Moglia, he's 68 years old. He's accomplished a lot. As everybody knows, he was, he began out a coach, quit, went to make some money, ended up being a stockbroker, ended up having a great career on Wall Street, was a CEO at TD Ameritrade, made a lot of rich people, a lot of money. And then he decides to get back in the coaching, takes an unpaid position with a Bo Pelini on his Nebraska staff, I believe, back in 09. And then he's really accomplished a lot. He kind of is Coastal Carolina football. 51-15 and 15 overall record. Like I said, he's 68 years old. Two FCS quarterfinal appearances. How big of a blow do you think this is to uh, the Sun Belt now that they brought Coastal on the team of the future that they've pretty much lost in their first season, the guy that built their program? Well, it, back in January, I think that Coastal Carolina and Joe Mobley made the probably the best hire in the Sun Belt by bringing on Jamie Chadwell. So that's why I think at there's not really a a blow here to talk about. I think that I had them going winning four to five games this year. I still have them winning four to five games this year. It's not gonna affect it affect this season too much. I'm interested to see how it affects after this season. Right. So as they as they move forward, are you assuming? I mean, I am in that party that I'm assuming that. Chadwell is going to be the next head coach. I had assumed that Moglia would probably coach the first two to three years in the Sun Belt, and then Chadwell will take over and take that program to the next step because then I think their goal would be acclimate to the Sun Belt these first couple of years, and then we can go and make a run at you know being one of the better teams in the conference and a true contender at a conference title. In my opinion, coming into the year, they had the best. They have the best coaching staff. Some somebody we haven't brought up yet is defensive coordinator Mickey Matthews. He's a big part of why I think they're not really going to drop off. Great defense coordinator. Last year, they were 21st in the FCS in total defense, and that second in the SBC, 331 yards per game. And him paired with Jamie Chadwell, I I don't think there's going to be much of a drop off, especially if they stay together, and. Uh, Coach together for the next few seasons, they will be, at the very worst, they will give the Sun Belt a strong middle tier. Right. I'm glad you brought up, Matthews, with the hiring of Chadwell, that gave Coastal Carolina three guys on their staff that had very, very successful winning programs at the FCS level. Of course, you had Moglia at Coastal Carolina with um, two FCS quarterfinals appearances. You had Jamie Chadwell there at Charleston Southern, who he had compiled a 35-14 and 14 record with an FCS quarterfinal appearance in that program's first ever time making the, the FCS playoffs. And then, of course, you have Matthews, who had a nice run at James Madison from 1999 to 2013. So it seems like that staff is really not getting the attention it deserves heading into their first year at FBS play. Well, they're not, but you can't expect them to get the, the attention. I mean, we are – talking about Coastal Carolina team that's coming in at the very bottom of the FBS but I think in a couple you're going to hear Jamie Chadwell Jamie Chadwell will probably be the next young up-and-comer after Neil Brown I think you're going to hear the staff eventually Mickey Matthews was actually out of coaching for two years before last year so with him coming back in here and really not missing a beat coaching great on defense when this team starts to play really well they're going to get the attention they deserve. Right, exactly. I think 
that you're seeing right now, they're trying to just get their feel out, um, trying to figure out how they need to recruit, and then just playing at the FBS level. Chadwell mentioned at media days they they this the program really hasn't played an FBS team in quite some time, so they're really not sure what to expect. That opener against UMass is a winnable game on paper, so we're gonna find out quickly what the Chanticleers are gonna have this year. I know they lost a lot last season on offense. I know they're dependent on Syracuse transfer. Austin Wilson at QB, but to continue on Moglia, do you think it would make, say they have a good season with Chadwell, like you talked about, four and eight, somewhere around there. Um, they're pretty competitive in the Sun Belt, win two, go two and six, three and five in the league. That he's, I don't think it's any secret that he's the coach of the future there in Conway. Would it make sense to go back to Moglia for a year or two, just when you had Chadwell already starting? I just don't know. I think it puts. I think it kind of puts the situation there and, and fast forward because the guy they hired to run the program in the future is getting a chance to run it right now. And if he has success, I think they might be more leaning towards. All right, let's just roll with this guy now. They, if they have success and they replace Chadwell with Mowgli for next year, that's going to put the future of the team in jeopardy because somebody's going to notice Chadwell now, and somebody's going to pick him up, and he's going to go somewhere else. And now you got to find another replacement. So if he if he wins five six games this year, Mowgli, he might not want to, but he's probably going to have to take a back seat and either reduce his role or just get out of the picture. Honestly. Yeah. See, I think that's probably what's going to happen. I think best case scenario for Coastal for their future is that their offense kind of struggles a little bit, adjusted to the new scheme and the new coordinator. Maybe they go like three and nine. And then they get Mowgli back. They kind of get their swagger. Next two years, they get some wins under their belt, maybe their first bowl appearance. And then Chadwell can take over as they finally figure out everything that they need to do to win consistently at this level because it is going to be an adjustment. I know they're a winning program, and they, they've had a lot of success at FCS, but it is an adjustment playing against this, competition, competi- this kind of competition with this many teams that – have that many scholarships to offer year in and year out. One thing I'm most interested in seeing from his coaching staff is how do they recruit together? Because they are in a region where they can recruit very well. They just have to win certain battles. So if if they can do that well, and I know they can coach, this is a team that I've, I've been saying for six months now, they're going to be pushing the top tier of the Sun Belt soon, sooner than later, along with Georgia State. You know they're they're not they might sit at the bottom this year. They're not going to stay there for long. Right. They just I believe they just have ten overall returning starters for next year, and I I know Chadwell talked at media days how they lost a bunch of offensive linemen and that they're worried about replacing that. And then of course they lost the program's all-time leading rusher D'Angelo Henderson to the NFL. But I believe they do like uh, senior Oshamar Abercrombie. I know he represented team there at media days, and when you look at the schedule. The non-conference slate is not terribly hard to manage through. They get two home games with UMass and Western Illinois. Western Illinois, of course, FCS one they should win. And then that UMass game, I think that's kind of a toss-up, the opener. But then you, I would think that with the new team at UAB, they, that's probably a toss-up as well, but I would lean toward Coastal winning that one. And they get that bye in the second week of the season, which is not – you know, I don't think you ever want to buy that early – and then a road trip to Arkansas. So if they could get to 
three and one in that non conference like if they can win those couple toss up games with UMass and UAB, they may be able to do some things this year. Yeah, I have them going four and eight, two and six. I don't remember who I had them losing to though, but they can certainly start three and oh with UMass, UAB and Western Illinois. Um, UMass, there are there are some people on Twitter that like them. They're not good. They're terrible. And UAB, like you said, is a toss-up. I had I have that game as one of my most interesting G5 games of the year because you got a team returning to FBS play and a team entering FBS play. One thing we can't uh, forget is that while UAB hasn't played a game in a while, they are full of FBS experience and talent from transfers and all that. But they can definitely start three and zero, and there's they can be competitive in. Most of these games, I think Texas State's definitely a win in my mind. So I, four, five wins is right around where I have them. Right. The only thing I would say about UMass, they have possibly the best tight end in the country in Adam Brenneman. That's true. Yeah. And then they have a, a bunch of re- production coming back on offense, and they have nine starters coming back on defense, and that's kind of a must-win season for them. They're kind of in a rough spot right now. Mark Whipple, their longtime head coach, is kind of in – you know, if they don't win this year, they're probably going to have to get rid of him. And so with Coastal adjusting to the switch from Mowgli to Chadwell, UMass may be able to get in there and sneak one on them. But anyway, either way, I think that, that game's coming down the fourth quarter. But we'll get in there at a conference slate now. The league did – I mean, they're going to have to play the three best teams, two on the road, Arkansas State and Appalachian State, back-to-back weeks in October, and then they host Troy on November 11th. So you had them getting two wins. Is it? Did you see them maybe getting an upset of over somebody on the big three, or was it? They're the wins coming against some of the bottom teams I in that conference. Have, I should have pulled it up, but I have them beating Texas State. Okay. Um, I, yeah, that's a home yeah, game. That should they should yeah, win that one. That should be one at least one of the ones they do get in the league. Georgia Southern might have been one. Okay, that's the last game. That's December second. I am very low on Georgia Southern, so that could have been one. They can they can play with most of these teams. Uh, I think Monroe they can hang with, or uh, Idaho they can maybe hang with uh, Georgia State. Yeah, yeah, two wins is what I give them. Their first two games in the league at ULM and then hosting Georgia State. Um, I like their chances in those. They start out early and then after that is where I worry about them because they go nine or nine straight weeks with games and they close at Arkansas, host Troy, and then at Idaho. I think when they go to Idaho, that's going to be a really, really tired football team, and I think they could get, they could possibly get drubbed there by the Vandals. Not because the Vandals are that much better than them, just really because they're just going to be dog tired. But yeah, that's um one of the tougher stretches I've seen so far when I've gone through these schedules. Because I mean, you can't even uh, start it at Arkansas State because Georgia State, I have them doing very well this year too. So it's it's a long stretch for them. You're a little bit higher on Georgia State than I am, but they, they do Georgia State does have some pieces that I think Coastal will have a hard time matching up with, especially finding somebody to cover Penny Hard on the outside when the when the Chanticleers are on defense. But you mentioned Texas State earlier. Are you expecting the Bobcats to finish last in the league again? I'm expecting them to go 0 and eight, and I will be shocked if they win any more than two. I think they'll get at least one. But that news that just came out of camp earlier this week is kind of scary with players 
quitting the team for mysterious reasons and players not being or being suspended or being ineligible, you gotta wonder what's going on over there in San Marcos. Yeah, I'm um, I'm looking at the schedule now. I changed my mind. Two and ten is just too generous. So I'm gonna go one and eleven. Okay, so you got them winning Houston Baptist and losing eleven straight to close the year. Yep. Yeah, that non-conference slate is no bueno. But we'll be it'll be interesting to see. if that happens for Withers and you've got all this off the field stuff. He's ran all these players off. At what point do you kind of like draw a line in the sand and say maybe we need to go somewhere else? Maybe his guys are uh, over his head. Well, it's just this year he's he's done a great job recruiting depth, but it's just this year he lost all of his transfer guys that would have would have been holdover players for him while his youngins trained and got ready to play FBS football for next season. He get, he finishes out this recruiting period strong. They're going to give him another year after this one, no matter how they do. And they'll be much more competitive next year, I think. Yeah, but do you think he can finish strong if he goes 1-11 and and loses 11 straight to close the season? Uh, finish strong in recruiting? Yeah. Oh, uh, sure. I mean, yeah, Texas is full of players that want to play FBS football. It, and it doesn't matter that they're full of teams. He's going to find guys, and right now he's got six three-stars committed. He doesn't need, really, there's hidden, so much hidden talent in Texas. And last year he did such a good job of finding those guys and keeping those guys and bringing them in. And he's going to do the same thing this year, I think. So just and just having that depth and having that quantity of players right now is more important than having the quality of players. That'll come in a couple of years' time. So do you think – like, let's talk about big picture for Texas State here. Let's say they're all in on Withers and they gave him five to six years to do something. Do you think he'll be able to contend for conference championships there at, in San Marcos? We're going to talk big. Or do you just think they're middle of the, like kind of a middle of the road team? That's something we really have to wait a couple more years, I think, to really see. It's kind of like the situation with Joey Jones in South Alabama. I think we both agreed that. He, he wasn't the guy that's going to take them to the top on belt. It'll be kind of like that. I think in a couple of years we're going we're gonna to see how good Texas State can be. And then after that, that that'll tell us. I mean, there's so much movement in the Sun Belt year to year that it's really tough to look forward to six years like Troy, Appalachian State. Three of those schools will probably have different head coaches in three, four years. But yeah, that's very true. That's very true. It's, it's tough to say right now. And you don't have Idaho and New Mexico State in the future either. So it's tough to judge big picture on the Sun Belt. My thing with Texas State is the way they're recruiting, like I believe I – I don't know if it was you or – I talked to somebody on their pod recently. There's a void right now in that Western division. We all know Arkansas State, assuming they assuming Anderson's there, assuming they hire another good coach, They all they've done is really hire good coaches here recently. They're going to be the top dog and really the program to – perennially beat out there in the West. But after that, it's kind of wide open to me, at least from the way I look at it. I think South Alabama is a program that could really step up and challenge the Red Wolves, but I also see Texas State, if they can continue recruiting like they are, that they could get up there and do that. I just hate to see – it's just been so much negative stuff with the Withers. And all his, now, he's only in year two, so we got to give him some more time. I do agree on that. But all this off the field stuff, it's just like, when's that going to end? I just, I, I don't know. But the way he's recruiting, it makes you want to buy in the success, the success he had at James Madison. 
he left a team that won an FCS national title. So obviously he knows how to win, but I guess it's just – I guess the culture is just terrible there right now or what. I just don't know. Do you see like that that void in the West? And I'm kind of rambling here. But do you see a void there? And do you, what program do you think could really step up and challenge there? Louisiana Monroe. Easy. Okay. Matt Viatar is a I, – I think he's a great coach. He has a talent base set. I think we talked about their quarterback. When healthy, he's very good. They're a team that is going to move ahead of Louisiana, and they, I think they're going to challenge Arkansas State next year when it when it's officially in division. I think that they're going to close that gap pretty quick. But, you know, after that, I agree that there is a big, big hole. It is nowhere near as good as the East. And uh, Texas State could. They're in a good spot being in the West. They could climb up. Like you said, if he keeps recruiting like he does ever with, I see them at being a Midwest team. They won't be at the bottom the whole time. Okay. But I just just right now, I'm not seeing a team that'll contend with Arkansas State and soon Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up ULM. I'm higher on them than a lot of people are. I think they have a chance to contend for you know a five and seven, six and six record this year. And then you look at the roster; they're going to have a lot of players back off next season. And if they can find answers at that quarterback, whether you know it's Garrett Smith staying healthy or they, they find somebody else on their roster, I like their running backs. I really like their offensive line. I think they're going to have one of the better running games in the conference this year. Just my only question with Viator down there is can they consistently pull in the talent because I know that program has had problems attracting recruits in the past. Monroe isn't exactly the most attractive place to go play football. So that's your that's your main challenge. But you start winning games, you're gonna start bringing some people in. And um, what I'm what I'm gonna say now, the only thing that's gonna keep them out of a bowl game this year is having the toughest out of conference schedule in the Sun Belt. I mean, right. I'm looking at it, it's brutal. They open the season at Southern Miss, and then at the end of the year they got at Auburn. I don't know how they they may not win a lot of games this year, but Back to recruiting, winning those games is going to help him in recruiting. You got you got to do something to make up for the fact that you're in Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah, I mean you're so. talk you're talking about Florida State and Auburn are both probably going to be top ten teams this year, and then Memphis is a team that's going to be in the hunt for that AAC title and that G five bid for the New Year Six. So just right there, that puts you three games in the hole, and then a t- then you got a tough non conference home game against Southern Miss a team that's more talented than they are. I like the coaching over on the ULM sideline a lot more than I do on the Southern Miss sideline. But still, they're going to be at a talent disadvantage there. But I like the steps they're taking. I think Viator's a really good coach. I know there's been some rumors going out around that maybe this program, that they don't have the money. That's why they're scheduling all these big paycheck games, and maybe in the future they'll be looking to drop down to FCS. I hope that's not true because I think they could really have something that they've never really had before, and that's a good head coach in Vitor. I've heard those rumors before. I don't think they are going to drop down. And I and like you, I really hope they don't because they can be special this year. They can be special next year. They've got a lot coming back. And I say this to everybody. Garrett Smith might be my favorite sleeper in the country. I mean, I'm really high on this guy. So yeah. Yeah. watch out for Gil Monroe. I think they'll be good. Probably next year because 
this year that that schedule is just too much. Right. With Smith, it's all about for him staying healthy. I like what I've seen from him when he's in the game. I like to see him stay healthy for the full conference slate to see what he could do with eight games against you know pretty much level competition in the in this league to see what kind of numbers he could put up and to see how that offense would really operate uh, with him in the lineup for a long stretch of time. I think Georgia State would be a big game for Garrett Smith. Uh, Lafayette probably. Just just teams that I think will have a good secondary. We'll, we're going to get a good glimpse at, at just good, a healthy Garrett Smith. We'll stay in the West because we're kind of going a little bit off schedule. But, but <laughs> this is – I'm glad we brought this up because I, this kind of been running through my mind how this is going to set up for the future. And you look at a program, let's move over to Lafayette, stay in the state of Louisiana. Got Mark Hudspeth entering his seventh season. I believe he's been to bowl games six of those years. What do you see as a future there in Lafayette? Do you think they they could be like a contender year in and year out, or do you think they're going to, with some programs maybe emerging like a ULM and maybe even a Texas State four or five years down the road, do you think they're going to get notched down there in that Western division? The way I look at the Sun Belt right now, I see teams that are trending up and I see teams turning down. And in the state of Louisiana, I see Monroe going up and I see Lafayette going down. And I can't help but think that when Mark Hudspeth was getting all those calls all those years ago, he probably should have jumped up and taken a job somewhere else. Because I'm not so sure that Lafayette is going to rebound to where to those 9 and 10 win seasons that it was before. Especially, It's not, not going to happen this year. you got to replace the best uh, Raging Cajun ever in Elijah McGuire. You're coming off a season where you, you had Anthony Jennings as your quarterback, and I think who who is it that's going to start? Is it Jordan Davis? Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna throw Jordan Davis out there, and then they got a JUCO transfer, Andre Nunez, that um, Hudspeth has been really high on. Said he's quote throwing the heck out of the ball there a couple of days in the fall camp, and then of course they got that Wildcat quarterback Dion Ray that they'll use you know pretty much in red zone type packages, but. For all intents and purposes, the job is Davis, and they're going to ride or die with him this fall. I'm just not – I'm not big on what they have coming back on offense. So, big picture, Hudspeth is a good coach. He he may rebound. It's tough. You can ask LSU fans, it's tough watching Anthony Jennings. Yeah, that um, was – That but, was uh, a brief- at, at the moment, they're trending down for me, and I I, could, I couldn't tell you if they're going to come back up. They're losing a good bit on defense, too. Otha Peters, Jermaine Lightfoot. Well, on defense, they lose those – they had two dudes at linebacker with Peters and Lightfoot last year that made all kinds of plays. But their front four and their back four are still pretty damn solid, if you ask me. I like the safety duo of Travis Crawford, Tracy Walker. Joe Dillon was really good coming off the edge as a pass rusher as a freshman. To Boris Lee, um, he might be one of the might be the best, or if not, he's right up there as the best in terms of just defensive tackles in this conference. So I think defense are going to be fine. They just got to find some guys just to make tackles at linebackers. Offensively, going back to what you said about Anthony Jennings, that looking back, that experiment was kind of silly. They went six and seven with Jennings. Why didn't they just play Davis as a sophomore and let him kind of get his lumps and then? really kind of lean on him to be the guy of the future, um, especially if he ends up being decent this year. 
will look back on to be like, why, why the heck did they, did they go through that Jennings uh, carousel pretty much? Yeah, I think that they set the team back at least a full year by, by not letting Davis start as a sophomore. They may have not won six games, even if they won four, that's the better move for the future of the program. Because now you got Davis is going to get thrown in there against um, Southeast Louisiana as a good starter, but then Tulsa on the road and then Texas A&M on the road. It's yeah. baptism by fire. You speak of tough schedules. Their schedule is really brutal. Seven road games total. They go to a t- they go and play a Tulsa offense that's going to score thousands of points this season. Uh, they go to A and M. They go to Ole Miss, which is now not looking as tough as it was originally. They don't have to do that until November, but they also have to go to Arkansas State and to Appalachian State. It's just a real uh, tough schedule for the Cajuns this year, and I think they could be a good amount of bit better than they were last year. I actually think they're the fourth. I actually have them as the fourth-best team in this conference, but I think their record could really struggle because of just how brutal that schedule is and some of the limitations they ha- they're going to have on offense this fall. Yeah, I have them finishing tied second for last, 4-8, and 2-6. and six. They're a team that I think that the Sun Belt teams are on their schedule this year. Most of them are trending in the up direction. Uh, Georgia Southern, South Alabama – going down Texas State sitting. I think they'll beat Texas State, and they'll get one against either Georgia Southern or um, South Alabama. But I think that's it for them. They've kind of gone as their quarterback play has gone. I think early in Hudspeth's tenure, he got really good quarterback play. So, therefore, they were getting wins. And then here the last two years, now going on three, they just really struggled in that position. If the Jennings experiment tells us anything, it's that Jordan Davis wasn't ready. For, to ready to be a starting quarterback. So I think that should tell you a lot about what the expectations are for him, that they had to wait that year to play him. If if the Anthony Jennings experiment tells North Carolina anything, it's that don't take LSU quarterbacks when they graduate and transfer. Yeah. Like North Carolina's about to find out with Brandon Harris. You're definitely on to something there, but Larry Fedora, he usually gets good QB play. So if Harris is that bad, I'm sure he has somebody waiting in the wings to – Throw in there. I know Fedora is not going to sit there and let you know have because if he gets back, he, if he gets back, he be play. That's that that team's going to go three and nine, four and eight. So that's just my opinion on that. I think he's a really good offensive play caller, and he yeah. usually gets QB, good QB play. We'll move on here, Scott. Um, just kind of give us a state of recruiting uh, in the Sun Belt right now. What are we looking at, at and now that? You know, camps officially started and the season's right around the corner. Day, August 1st, is the first day of the dead period. No official contact or no official visits and no face-to-face contact. So it's a good time to stop and just see where we are. Well, Appalachian State has built themselves quite a lead. They've got seven three-stars. They've gotten their commit total up to 20. Yeah, and that's that leads to Sunbelt by a decent amount. So they've been holding steady at first. I think Arkansas State recently passed Texas State Yep, with a three-star uh, Jamarcus Burrell, cornerback from Cottondale, Alabama. So they picked one out of Troy territory. So, um, yeah, they've surged a little bit recently. Uh, Troy's starting to drop off some. They're down to sixth. But it's they're, they're getting a lot of commits from some unranked guys, some guys that are looked at by rivals. 
and they've gotten a couple JUCO players recently, so they're, they're not thrown in here on the rankings. The two other teams I'll hit on real quick, they, they even though they're fourth, they're doing the most impressive job to me still. Okay. They recently picked into South Florida again, into that what we've, during the offseason, we're lauding as this impenetrable area with all these new coaches down there. Yeah, they're doing a great job. They got a three-star Samuel Oshidai, wide receiver from Fort Lauderdale. Had offers from Illinois, Oregon, Central Florida, South Florida. This guy's talented. So I'm really, really impressed with what they're doing. And then lastly, Georgia Southern. They're finally on the radar after sitting quiet with, I think, like one two-star for a long time. They're up to 11 commits really quick. And the most recently... Linebacker Tory Zanders. He's a three-star. He's one of two three-stars that they have. He's he's a local guy. He's Monroe, Georgia. He has an offer from Appalachian State. Uh, teams like Michigan State were interested. So that's good on them. He actually had an offer from Michigan State. Talented guy. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Georgia State, uh, Sean Elliott has, I think he's aced the job so far. Whether I think he's been good on the microphone, I was really impressed with him at media days. I was really impressed with him at his introductory press conference. He's selling the crap out of this new stadium that looks pretty freaking nice. And then, like I said in the last pod, I assume it's that Travis Trick, their offensive coordinator, going down into South Florida and getting those players. I've been really impressed uh, what they've done, and they I think they've taken big steps as a program just in the last six months. You mentioned that stadium. I didn't. I didn't know Turner Field could look so good again, but it looks. It looks really good. And yeah, you know, they've they've really capitalized on it. They're like I said, they're fourth right now. That doesn't mean anything to me, but because they they've done a great job as a new coaching staff coming into a team that most people would think is a bottom feeder, in, even in the Sun Belt, and recruit like they have. They've done a great job, and there's a significant gap between fourth and fifth between Georgia State and Georgia Southern. So they're, they're still in the race to finish first in the conference. When you talk about App State, has got 20 commits going into the year. Is that normally a lot for a Sun Belt school to have this early? I don't think so. I think Texas State had quite a few this early last year, a lot of them. Um, but those were a lot of lower guys. Appalachian State's bringing in some quality players early in the process. And that just comes from winning games. They're, they're definitely more noticeable. You can't tell me that the Tennessee game, even the Miami game, where they got blown out at home, and had nothing to do with recruiting. It's coming a long way. There's a lot more exposure. They're reaching a little bit further. They got a three-star from Florida. They've really picking out of Georgia quite well. This is going to be the team that you have to really challenge in recruiting now in the Sun Belt. Because you, you mentioned, is it normal for teams to have this many? It's not normal for teams to have this many good recruits this early. Yeah, it seems like to me, uh, Scott Satterfield's one of the better coaches in the in all the G five right now, and he'll have a job sooner than later. But it seems that the, that App State program is they're kind of setting the bar in this league that this is who everybody's chasing. Do you see that? Yeah, I mean just games, just but... from a publicity wise, they're get. I feel like they're getting. A lot of publicity, whether it was from hosting that Miami game or this ten-year, two-year anniversary of that Michigan upset, they have, you know, when they talk about Sun Belt openers, Troy goes to Boise State, 
Nebraska hosts Arkansas State, and then Arkansas State hosts Miami. That's really not getting talked about much, but everybody, I feel like more people are talking about App State going to Georgia. I just feel like on a national kind of perspective, that program has got a, I don't, I don't, it's got a, like a little more, I guess they're, they got a little more respect, and people are kind of looking at it as more of like a, a legit G five team, like one of the better G five teams in the country, and I just feel like kind of like the rest of the league is maybe kind of playing catch-up to them right now, whether that's correct or not. Yeah, well, they, Appalachian State gets more exposure. They've they've won more consistently, and they have that, uh, you know, everybody knows them already because of what happened 10 years ago. They're kind of team that people, when they think of the Sun Belt, they're going to think of Appalachian State. And you talk about all the opening games that the Sun Belt has, those are all very winnable games from the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt's a much better conference than it was three years ago. I mean, last year, last year, teams that were bottom half in the conference were playing up to Power Five competition. Georgia Southern, I think, ten points away from Ole Miss. Uh, Georgia State played Wisconsin very close. Georgia should have beaten Clemson. Louisiana Lafayette went to Georgia and took them to the to the wire. Exactly. So and with the growth of TV and streaming and all this, eventually it's going to come to the other teams. But as of right now, yeah, Appalachian State gets all the exposure. They're going to get all the TV time, and that's helping in recruiting. So as we go into 2017, what school do you think has the most to gain or most to lose on the field-wise to help or hurt their recruiting? Who do you think could really use a big year to boost their recruiting? Who do you think could really not afford to have a bad year to really kind of tank their recruiting class or potential recruiting class? Well, there's a lot of different scenarios at play. You've got a Troy team that's never had expectations before, and now there's a big target on their back. So can they capitalize on last year, get another great season, maybe another 10-win season, and become a consistent team? And then you've got teams like uh, South Alabama. If they play down again, what's, what's the lure to Mobile for players? You've got a coach that isn't going to win more than six or seven, and his down years are really down. That that it could really drop off if they don't play well this year. Those are, I think, the two biggest ones. Uh, Georgia State's got the whole the whole program momentum thing going. I honestly think no matter how good or bad they do, they're going to bring in a solid class this year and the next year. Uh, Texas State, that's an interesting one. You know, we we talked about what happened with them. Uh, yesterday or today at a fall camp. Those are, I think, the four biggest ones. I think Georgia Southern's going to have to show up eventually, um, or they could drop off. That's what I got. Okay. Yeah, when I asked that question, really, Georgia Southern was the one that popped into my head. Of course, Tyson Summers, they were supposed to be contending for a conference title last year, and they went 5-7. and seven. And they're just kind of in a weird Really just a weird spot right now. I don't know, really know what they're going to do in Statesboro. So that's one that, that, that really, when I asked that question, that's the program I was really thinking of. Kind of both ways, because if they have a good year, I could see them. They could be sell like Summers is our guy. Look, we hit first year, just a first year kind of adjustment. But we bounced back this year, and now we're ready to take a step forward. But if they have a bad year, they could beat. You know, they're in a spot where they're – do you, do they need to get – are they going to get rid of Summers? If not, why do you want to go there? You're going to a, 
a program that's taken a nosedive as fast as any team we possibly seen in the Sun Belt that go from the top to maybe the bottom. So I think that's a program that's really in a volatile spot right now. Yeah, they're in limbo. I think, yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. Coach stability is the main problem with them. And the contender being a contender in the conference, if I don't see them being very good this year. I think they should let Summer stay no matter what happens this year because the expectation when you look at the talent is this team's just not going to be good, even though they're going back to what made them good. So even if they're not good, bring in an okay class, let it, let it, let the experience build up for next year. If he's not good next year, then you fire him. But yeah. I think that you should keep him one more year after this year, especially for the sake of recruiting. They're going back to that system. They got to hope Brian Cook is just a master play caller and that this new QB, Shea Wirtz, is maybe a future star. If that doesn't happen, their offense is just – I think they'll be better on offense because they'll have more of an identity, but I think they're going to take a step back on defense. So definitely going to be interesting to see what happens in Statesboro. And I agree with you on the Georgia State staff. Even if they don't have a great year, they're still going to be – that staff is still young and it's still their first – that first two years are really going to be able to sell that new stadium no matter what the results on the field were – field are, excuse me. But after that, then they're going to need to win. But as of right now, I think they're fine. And I think in the next two years, you're going to see them pulling some of the best classes in the Sun Belt. I think one team that does need to start recruiting better, I almost feel bad for saying it, but Troy probably, if they have another good year and the recruiting doesn't pick up, they might be in trouble with the next coach they hire. So I'm not sure, so sure that the talent base will be there. I'm extremely impressed with Coach Brown because he won 10 games last year with – Larry Blakeney's players. And and the, the, I don't blame it. The recruiting strategy in Troy is to recruit Alabama players. So you get a lot of guys coming in here that went under the radar. You may not see a lot of high-talent guys. And I think that they're guys that Coach Neil Brown can coach. And I'm not so sure if he leaves if the next guy can coach them. You would know better than pretty much anybody because you follow that program as close as anyone. But I think this coaching staff now – they really feel confident in their development skills. So they see a type of player and they think they can craft them. So that could they could be in trouble if they don't get a similar coach to Brown that runs a similar scheme and brings in similar coaches that are really good developers. But what's kind of the fan base thought with Brown? I know he's, his name's going to start. If they have the season everybody thinks they're going to have, his name's going to start popping up in some Power 5 jobs. Do the fans think he's going to be there for, you know, a good amount of time or people kind of bracing themselves for that. This may be our last time year with him. From what I can tell, the fans are doing their absolute best to not think about it. And they just want to live in this season and see how good this season goes. Because everybody heard it last year. I, his name even floated floated across in the, uh, the Houston talks. So everybody knows that he's a great coach. Everybody knows that the Sun Belt is a launching pad to a bigger job somewhere else. So nobody, nobody really wants to think about it. Okay, I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's smart by that fan base. I think Brown, he's young. He's never really been. If you look at his coaching career, he was only at Kentucky for two years. For that, he's at Texas Tech for three. So he's always been a fast mover. Well, you have to see yeah, what this, what jobs open up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he left after this season. 
it, it's really tough to say. You say he's a fast mover, but this is his first head coaching job, and that kind of changes things. And he did just sign a contract extension, which with these smaller schools usually doesn't mean a whole lot unless they're just average, which Brown is not. I'm not super confident like maybe you are about him staying after this year, but it's really just a wait-and-see kind of thing. It's a very volatile world. And with the Sun Belt, Satterfield could be gone, Anderson could be gone, Brown could be gone. All three could be gone at the end of this year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you've seen nobody recently had, in the last few years has gotten higher from the Sun Belt. So usually how that carousel work, it all comes around. And I just have a feeling when one goal, maybe they we, that two or three of them go at the same time. Yeah, I think it's that's, um, that, that's really on Satterfield and Anderson. They've, they've showed a level of loyalty to their programs. I think they've already had the chance to move on, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to. I think they're both looking for a very specific type of job or a very specific job. It remains to be seen what Brown is looking for in the future because he's only coached two years now. So we'll, we'll see. And I'm also interested to see about uh, Sean Elliott at Georgia State going from position coach to head coach. What If he succeeds at Georgia State, what's his next step? Yeah, that's definitely something, especially if he gets that, that program cranking like we think he can with these recruiting classes, they could reach levels that really that they probably never thought were imaginable at Georgia State that you know that quickly, and he's definitely going to be a guy that's going to get some looks if he if he gets that program on a winning basis. Yeah, definitely. I think um, with him, I'm high on. I actually have Georgia State winning eight games this year. I'm high on them because I'm banking on him revamping. Georgia State's run game because it was so so weird last year. It was not there at all. They ran the ball 20. I think how many players had 20 different carries? It was yeah. up to up close to 10 different running backs and slash quarterbacks ran the ball at least 20 times. It was a good amount. I can't remember the exact number, but it was they, a they bunch a of lot guys. Of players. And I think that with Elliott, they're going to – Reduce the amount of carries to two or three guys, and they're going to have specific roles. They've got one one back that's a pass catcher, and they've got one back that's the primary runner. Mm-hmm. And it's be primarily those two guys, and that will help increase their rushing output, especially with his pedigree as an offensive line coach. I would assume that they would run the ball better. And when you have Connor Manning and Penny Hart on the outside, that's I feel good about the offense this year. Yeah, I think the offensive line is going to be much better. I really like center Gabe Mobley. So they should be – or Gabe Mobley, excuse me. So they should be able to open some holes and get that running game going. But it's just – it's going to be Elliott's first year. So you just never know. Like you said, he did. He's a, he was a position coach before, even though he served at the interim uh, for South Carolina. But we'll wrap it up here, Scott. Uh, where can the people find you at on Twitter? They can find me at Scott Watkins T-U. Alrighty, and then you can find me, Adam Luckett, at Adam Luckett BOS. Make sure you're checking out the site. Scott just got some recruiting news up there here recently. And then, of course, I dropped that Mowgli news last Friday, and then we got some more stuff coming this week. I'm going to have an article be out sometime this week about what what's the main goal for each team in the Sun Belt to accomplish during training camp and, of course, all the other stuff we're doing. And if you haven't, uh, just please uh, drop into iTunes and give us a review. 
and let us know how we're doing. That that helps with the ratings of the podcast. It helps get us to a broader audience. So we really appreciate if you do that and give us any feedback, whether on Twitter or in our comment section on our site to let us know what you think of the work we're doing. We appreciate any positive or negative. And Scott, thanks as always for coming on and do this with me. We'll have to do it again, my man. No problem. I'm looking forward to it again. You better call me. Yes, sir. All right, people. We'll see you later.